Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumble.org. If you're new with us, just joining us, we are in this series in Malachi, and the big theme of this book is return to me, God says, return to me. This is the gracious call of a loving God inviting us back to Him, no matter how far we've fallen away or drifted away from Him, He's calling us back. The people in Malachi's day were drifting away from God and didn't even realize it, partly because they thought, as long as I'm good with God, it doesn't matter how I relate to others. They must have reasoned to themselves, as long as I'm, I'm still going to church, as long as I'm still worshiping, as long as I'm still praying, why is it such a big deal what I do on a horizontal level with others? So in their marriages, they weren't listening to God. In their relationships with those in the family of God, they were forsaking one another and being faithless to one another. And sometimes we can relate to that same kind of thinking. We might think, well, I'm I'm good with God vertically. Seems like my own time with God is okay. And if that's all right, then... God, why are you in my business when it comes to how my relationships are on a horizontal level? For some reason, the incongruence doesn't bother us, whether it's friction or frustration with somebody maybe in our church family, or maybe it's pain and strain in your marriage relationship. We keep moving on as if it was no big deal, but it is a big deal. Our horizontal relationships are a big indicator of our spiritual health, somewhat of a litmus test of our spiritual lives. And when we allow hurts and wounds and sin patterns to continue in our relationship with others, it drowns out our relationship with God. As we're going to see the people in Malachi's day, they were unfaithful to one another and they thought it didn't really matter. And so here's, here's the main point I want to bring out today is simply this. We can't be faithful to God while being unfaithful to one another. Can you say that with me? We can't be faithful to God while being unfaithful to one another. And so with that in mind, let's take a look at Malachi chapter 2. I want to read verses 10 to 16. This is the word of God. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. In this second thing you do... You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. 
Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God-seeking, godly offspring? So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. And so we we can't be faithful to God while being unfaithful to one another. The incongruence ought to bother us and cause us to return to him. And yet, this kind of unfaithfulness didn't begin in Malachi's day. In fact, it began a long, long time ago. All the way back in Exodus, God made a covenant with his people, Israel. He had rescued them out of Egypt. He loved them. He had chosen them and now commanded them to obey him. In Exodus 19, verses 4 and 5, God says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine." And so God enters into a covenant with his people, essentially a bond never meant to be broken, but be honored by their obedience to him. And their response was, absolutely, God, we've got this, we can do this. In verse 8, all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And so a lot of confidence We can do this. And yet the entire story of the Old Testament is a story of Israel's unfaithfulness and disobedience to God. They kept failing him time and time again. They didn't listen. They didn't love God. They kept doing what they wanted to do. In one word, they were unfaithful. And here's how that manifests itself on a horizontal level. Number one, they were unfaithful to one another. And number two, they were unfaithful to their spouses. And remember, we can't be faithful to God while being unfaithful to one another. And so let's take a closer look at these two areas and how they apply to us. So number one, they were unfaithful to one another. Look back with me at verse 10 again. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another? profaning the covenant of our fathers. And so, under the Mosaic covenant, or the covenant of our fathers, as it's said here, it lays out in great detail how the people of God are to treat one another. In Leviticus 19, we see an example, you shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor, I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, according to verse 10, the people of Israel didn't obey these commands. They were faithless to one another. They were treating the covenant with contempt, as though it didn't really matter what they did and how they treated one another. 
And so Malachi's response there in verse 10 is, have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another? Notice the repetition of the word one, one, one for emphasis. God wants oneness because he made us for this. Look around. This, this, this is our family. This is our one big family, right? And families are to stick together. We're loyal to one another because we love one another. We're to be faithful to one another. We look out for one another. We carry one another's burdens. Why? Because we have one Father in heaven and one Creator who made us. And yet, sadly, we can fall into the same kind of faithless behavior towards one another. And that word faithless, it doesn't, it doesn't really have a sting to it, faithless. It doesn't really carry the weight of that word. And so the word itself means to break trust. To break trust in one another. To, to not love and support one another. And yet, we are called to something different. Under the new covenant, Christ has bound us together as one, as one body, as one family. And we're to carry out all the one another commands of Scripture. Some of you, you've seen in the New Testament over and over again, it's love one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, serve one another, confess your sins to one another, all over the New Testament. And that commitment, that, that corporate covenant is expressed locally in membership here at Oak Hill Church. Let me show you just a few questions that come directly from our church covenant that we ask prospective members to commit to with God's help on Membership Sundays. So take a look at this. These four questions, will you strive to protect and foster the unity of our church by acting in love toward other members? Will you strive to share the responsibility of our church by pursuing its spiritual vitality? Will you strive to serve the ministry of our church by developing a servant's heart? And will you strive to support the testimony of our church by living a godly life? And so, so we enter into this commitment, this covenant, to foster unity, to love one another deeply, to share the responsibility, to pursue spiritual vitality, to serve willingly, to live a godly life as a testimony to others. In other words, to live faithfully, to be faithful to one another as part of the family at Oak Hill Church. And I know it has been hard to do that throughout the course of this pandemic. It has been more challenging to be faithful to our Oak Hill family. But we made a commitment to one another, a covenant, a bond to keep loving each other, even when it's hard, especially when it's hard. And in doing so, we reflect the faithfulness of God. I want to just pause and say this. I want to sincerely say this. I, I really thank all of you who have remained uh, faithful in your commitments and faithful in service and faithful in your generosity to Oak Hill Church. It means so, so much. So many of you have just continued to pray and persevere and be patient with us. You've jumped in and you've served even when it's not convenient. Some of you have sacrificed for the good of others. Sacrifice your wants and your desires for the good of others, whether it be on the worship team, 
uh, in, the, in the sound booth back there, if you're an usher or a greeter, part of the welcome team, you're serving in the nursery, Sunday school, ministry, Wednesday nights, thank you for your faithfulness. God sees you and your faithfulness. And guys, just as unfaithfulness can, can spread like it did in Malachi's day, so can faithfulness spread as well. Listen, your quiet faithfulness influences others. It does. And so keep being faithful to one another. That's the first relationship that Malachi addresses on a horizontal level. The second relationship is with our spouses. Our spouses. It's clear from this text that they seem to, the people of Israel, seem to have this cavalier, kind of casual attitude toward marriage. And so can we, even as Christians. In two ways that they were being unfaithful, number one, they were marrying unbelievers. They were marrying unbelievers. And secondly, they were getting divorced unlawfully. And so let's just take those one at a time. Number one, they were, they were marrying unbelievers. Look at verses 11 and 12. Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And so evidently some in the community were marrying outside the faith. In other words, women who worshipped foreign gods. And so this, this wasn't an issue of race, it was an issue of relationship. Did they have a relationship with the one true God? In Deuteronomy 7.4, it forbids God's people from marrying unbelievers because they will turn you away from following God and worshiping other gods. And, and we find this, the same principle consistent in the New Testament, that believers in Christ are only to marry other believers. In 2 Corinthians 6, 14, it says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? So when, when the Bible talks about unequally yoke, yoking, it, it refers to placing oxen. You may have seen this before, oxen were placed of equal strength in this yoke together so they can work together side by side. Now, my wife and I, uh, back when we went on our honeymoon, we went to the beautiful tropical city of Galena, Illinois. And so we, we were actually on our way. Jamie was in a wedding the next weekend, but we still had a wonderful time. Uh, one of the things we did is we visited a museum, like of all things on your honeymoon, right? We went to this museum and we, we saw... This, this picture here, you can't see it very well, but it's a picture of a yoke, right? And so we thought, this is kind of cool. We're newly married. Let's take a picture to remind ourselves that we're like, we're like oxen? Okay, we're, we're moving together in marriage, right? Side by side. Let's, let's remind ourselves of that. You guys are looking at me like, what a dork, right? Like, what? That's a pastor geeky thing to do, isn't it? But... We were so young back then, man, I can't even believe that. Um, so uh, we, we took that picture, and, and it's a reminder for us, right? We have that picture still. And when I, when I was attracted to, to Jamie, um, it was not only her, her outward beauty. I'll tell you what, she was passionately running after Jesus. 
And, and I was running after Jesus, and it was like, hey, we're running together. Why don't we just run side by side? I mean, we, we are doing this together, and, and that's what marriage is meant to be. You are together running the race side by side, pursuing the same goal. Now, now listen, I know what some of you are thinking now. This doesn't mean that if you're married to someone who's not yet a believer, that you should get out of that marriage. That's, that's not what the Bible says. It, it also doesn't mean that it's impossible for an unbelieving spouse to be saved. God can do it. He did it in your life. He can do it in your spouse, right? What this means, listen, what this means is that if you are a sincere follower of Jesus, if you are a sincere follower of Jesus and you willfully choose, you willfully choose to unite yourself or to get married to an unbeliever, you're doing two things. You're bringing pain into your life and you are profaning the holiness of God. Listen, I want to speak tenderly. God says, I'm your father. I love you. Who you marry is my business. And if you choose not to listen to me, you're choosing to turn your back on me and my blessings. So there are many ways that we can apply this to our lives, but here's one encouragement, especially to singles and to young people. So listen, don't make excuses for dating someone who is not a Christian. Hear me. You need to decide right now, young people, and have a settled con conviction in your heart that I am not going to allow myself to have affections for someone who's not a Christian. I, I, I won't go there. I'm going to guard my heart from that. Because I'm only going to marry someone who's running after Jesus as passionately as I am. So to have this settled conviction, it's going to spare you of so much pain and turmoil and more importantly, fill you with so much peace as you follow God's plan. So that was the first way that Israel was being unfaithful. They were marrying unbelievers. Secondly, on the heels of that, in doing so, they were divorcing their spouses. They were getting divorced unlawfully. Look at verses 13 to 16. In this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. And so guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. And so guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Notice what's happening in verse 13. Look back there with me and picture the scene. It's a worship scene. They're at the altar, and they're weeping, and they're groaning. Why? Because God's not accepting their offering. He's not responding to them. Why? Because he saw right through them. He saw into their heart. In Matthew 
Chapter 15, verse 8, Jesus says, this people honors me with their, with their lips, but their heart, their heart is far from me. And I think that's happening all across Iowa today. There are people, yeah, we are giving lip service to you, God. We're here to worship you. And meanwhile, their hearts are far from God. They don't give a rip about God when it comes to their daily life and relationships. And God says, I see your heart. I'm not responding and accepting your offering. Yes, you're at church. Yes, you're giving your offering. Yes, you're doing your duty. But you've shut your ears to my voice. You're following your own selfish impulses, and you have divorced the wife of your youth. And you still expect me to bless you? God's like, you're going you're to come to me for blessing when you're living like that? I won't accept your prayers. I won't accept your offerings. I don't care about your weeping and your groaning. I want your heart. God says, I want your heart. And so listen, you can't be faithful to God while being unfaithful to your spouse. You can't be faithful to God and at the same time be unfaithful to your spouse. In 1 Peter 3, 7, we see this connection between worship and marriage. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that, here's the purpose, your prayers may not be hindered. So, so there's a connection here. If you live with your wife in an understanding way, God is his ears towards you. But if you could care less about your wife and how you treat her as a fellow grace, heir of the grace of life, then God's, God, I don't want to answer your prayers. Your prayers will be hindered. And so listen, your horizontal relationship with your spouse will affect your vertical relationship with God. It will. That's why God refuses to accept the offerings of the people here. So in verse 14, they ask them, well, why does he not? And the first answer is this. God is a witness to your marriage. He is. He's a witness to your marriage. Look at verse 14 again with me. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. I've done a lot of weddings and signed many marriage licenses, and on that license is a line there for the best man and the maid of honor to sign as witnesses to that marriage. And yet the greatest witness at your wedding day is God himself. He's not just a passive bystander. He, he's right there. And he's saying, I see this, I confirm this, this is a covenant I'm bringing together. In marriage, we're making a covenant before God himself. It's the essence of marriage. It, listen, it is not a contract between two people that can be easily broken. It's not a business agreement. It's a covenant between God and this, this couple, never meant to be broken. And so... God is a witness to your marriage. Secondly, God created oneness in your marriage. He created oneness in your marriage. Verse 15 says, Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. And so guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. 
So once again, we see the emphasis on oneness, this repetition. The one God has made us one in marriage. He makes us one. God makes us one. That's, that's a beautiful thing. He's the one who does this, and it takes us all the way back to Genesis. You probably remember the story. God creates Adam first, breathes new life into Adam, and he parades all the animals in front of him. God gives names to all the animals, but he says, there's no suitable helper for me. And so God, in his grace, causes Adam to go into a deep sleep and takes one of the ribs and creates Eve, creates woman. And this first marriage happens in Genesis 2, 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. One flesh. So there's a oneness in marriage and a, and a permanence in marriage. And this, this oneness and permanence, it displays the, the covenant that we have with God through Jesus which is why Jesus says in, in Matthew 19, he says this. He answers, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Notice what God has joined together. It's God who joins us together. This is why divorce is so tragic. It just it tears apart what God has joined together, right? The, the, the permanent, intimate bond in marriage. Not only that, it, it contradicts the covenant that he made with his people. This promise, this, this covenant that our marriage points to. And thirdly, it, it leads to a whole host of, of, of consequences, painful consequences, Wounds that are hard to heal from. Let me just give you an illustration of this. And so we have two people here, and here are their names. We have John Taylor over here, and we have Sarah Smith, all right? And, and these two, they grow to love one another and they get married. And on their wedding day, God brings them together as one. And so God, in his grace, binds them together. He makes them one and gives them this bond that is never meant to be broken, never meant to be pulled apart. And we know that God is the one who has created this bond. And I'm running out of glue to do this illustration. Here we go. And so God is the one who has created this bond and he wants man never to separate. Let me get this here. And so with this illustration, we see that John Taylor and Sarah Smith, they come together as one in marriage. They are no longer two, but one. They're now John and Sarah Taylor. And God, in marriage binds them together in this covenant of marriage, and they're to never separate, never to be broken again. This is God's doing, firm and fixed. And so here's why divorce is so tragic. 
we try to pull apart and break apart this, this bond that's never meant to. And I, I can't even get in between there, right? And if I, if I try, it rips. And, there, and some of you know this, there's, there's wounds that happen. You know the pain of, of divorce. Some of you have walked through this. The soul feels like it's been torn apart. Your kids can feel the effects of this, right, for, for years to come. And I don't want to heap more pain on you if that's you. Because I know that there is healing and there's mercy and there's forgiveness to be found in Jesus, right? And we come to him for healing. We come to him for help. We come to him humbly and he's ready to restore us because he loves us. And yet we also know that in some cases, divorce is a tragic concession. It's never, it never should be a want to. It's always a really, really tragic, painful have to. Divorce is permissible in Scripture in two cases, adultery and abandonment. I'm not going to go into detail. I've already done so in a sermon back in January. We'll try to link that on our website later on if you're interested. But the point is that, that divorce is, is never commanded in the Bible. It's permitted. After much prayer, waiting, trying, counseling, so, so much more could be said, and I don't have time. But the point Malachi is making is this, and I want you to listen to this, listen to this. God wants to protect you from this pain. Hear me, and and young people out there, God wants to protect you from this pain. He wants you to be faithful to your spouse. This is his desire. This is his design. He has called you to be faithful. So, as we close, we can't be faithful to God while being unfaithful to one another. And so, how then can we be faithful? In these two areas, how can we be faithful to your spouse and to your church family? And there's a lot at stake, you guys. There's a lot at stake here. God wants to be glorified in how we participate with him in living out this drama of his covenantal love. And we can either display that or distort and devalue that. And so let's listen. How can you be faithful to your spouse? Well, negatively, the warning in verses 15 to 16 is to guard yourself, right? He repeats that twice. Guard yourself. That means you're vigilant to guard your heart and guard your marriage from temptation. That's not just pornography, though it includes that. It's also being very vigilant about your relationships with the opposite sex, being aware of emotional connections and physical attractions and being vigilant to guard your marriage. In verse 16, it talks about not covering your garment with violence. It's a figure of speech. When we divorce unlawfully, we leave behind a wake of violence and pain, a legacy that we leave behind. And it's hard, sometimes even harder than death. But I want you to listen here. I want you to know that if your marriage is in trouble today, don't be afraid to ask for help. Okay? Don't be afraid to ask for help. 
be courageous and humble enough to ask for help. Because listen, everybody at some point struggles in their marriage. Can we get an amen there? Amen. We all struggle, guys. And so listen, we all need prayer. We all need help. And if you know your marriage is in trouble, you can fight to save it. Positively, positively, keep getting to know your spouse better, all right? More and more and more. Keep getting to know your spouse better. I know some of you might say, well, I've been married to my wife for 40 years and there's nothing left for me to know. I've got her all figured out. Or, I've been married for 40 years, I can't figure her out, so I'm just giving up. And and listen, we we all change, right? We all go through seasons of, of change So keep learning to love your best friend, your companion. My wife and I recently bought a book called Married in the Middle. It's about uh, midlife, and it's kind of frightening that I'm one of those married in the middle. And so it's it's talking about the changes that happen in midlife and the challenges and the surprises and the joys. And so Marriage in the Middle, I invite you if that's something that you might want to read as well. So, number one, be faithful to your spouse. Secondly, let's be faithful to our church family. And we see here in this text, negatively, the people of Israel were being unfaithful to one another. And sometimes that happens, especially in times of stress. They were going through a lot, times of strain, frustration, fatigue. We can fall into that as well. But I want us to remember that we're a family, right? We're a family here at Oak Hill, and so let's keep sticking together and supporting one another. In doing so, we exhibit and show the covenant-keeping love of God, even in the hard times, especially in the hard times. One more thing. Positively, with that in mind, we want to do something new in the month of October. And so I know that the past six months have been kind of discouraging in many ways for us. And so I thought, let's make the month of October Oak Hill Appreciation Month. All right? Let, let's think of ways that all of us can encourage one another. Some of you, you're naturally prone to do this. I mean, it's just part of your gifting. You want to bless someone else, send a note, send a card, send something. Hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, I saw you serving in that way. Thank you for being a blessing to me in my life. It might be someone who's still at home who can't be here to worship with us. I'm thinking about you. I miss you. You know, and, and just reaching out and finding ways we can encourage one another. Let that be the atmosphere this next month. Think about that right now. Who needs encouragement. Who do you want to encourage in our family at Oak Hill? Guys, it's been a journey these last six months of this pandemic, and it hasn't really created things in us as much as it's exposed what's already there, okay? So maybe in your marriage, it's exposing things that you need help with. Maybe it's exposing some of the areas of relational you know, unhealth here at Oak Hill. But I think all of us is exposing our deep need for Jesus. So this morning, we're going to end with a song, He Will Hold Me Fast. And as we think about that, it's, it's probably been hard at times for us to, to hold on, you know, to Jesus, to hold on to our marriage, to hold on to faithfulness here in the family of God. But know this, it's not mainly our puny little grip on Jesus that's holding us to faithfulness. It's Christ's strong grip on us. It's his faithfulness that fuels our faithfulness all the way to the end. Let's pray together.
Our Father in heaven, we need you. We acknowledge here in this room that just like the Israelites, we fail time and time again. We are faithless to you and to one another. And Lord, we're so glad that even when we're faithless, you remain faithful. And God, you pursue us in your love. Your son, Jesus, came down, took and bore all the weight of our punishment, rose again from the grave, and now says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you to the end of the age. May that encourage us in our marriages today. I pray for those who may be struggling. God, I pray for the courage to get help, to take steps, to fight for their marriage. I pray for, for all of us here in the family at Oak Hill that we'd be faithful to one another. They would carry out this love that you have here in the New Testament for one another. And Father, I pray that you would hold us and keep us all the way to the end for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Let's